This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, and I welcome you to today's podcast. You know, perhaps nothing is more important for a Christian than to have assurance regarding their eternity with Jesus Christ. But where do we find assurance? Is assurance found in the works that we do, or is it found in our faith, in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Well, one scripture often casting doubt on one's assurance is 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Paul writes, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But is Paul talking about our justification before Christ or something else? Well, here to help us with this passage is Dr. Fred Shea. Dr. Shea has pastored churches in Arizona, California, Texas, He served as the Western Director of the Christian Medical Association. He was a professor of theological studies at Phoenix Seminary and was the director of their Doctorate of Ministry program for over 20 years. Dr. Shea is the founder and uh, president of Graceline, a ministry devoted to motivating Christians toward maturity in their faith. He is currently the Dean of Doctoral Studies and Professor of Theological Studies right here at Grace School of Theology. He also serves as the Managing Editor of Grace Theology Press. Dr. Shea is the author of The Faith That Saves, The Nature of Faith in the New Testament, The Glorious Grace of God, Medical Ethics, and Suffering Successfully. He was also editor and contributor to the new release, Defense of Free Grace Theology. Thank you, Dr. Shea, for joining us again. Carmen, it is my pleasure to be here again. Well, we uh, had such a good discussion the last time you were on, and this one is equally important. Uh, The verse that I read from 1 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 is used in many Christian circles today as a warning to fellow believers whose lives may not be in line with the standards that oftentimes are set up by men, uh, standards that they deem appropriate uh, for Christians. The idea being that if you don't meet the standard, which is subjective, no doubt, then you perhaps are disqualified from heaven or from Christianity at all. Or maybe you were never a Christian to begin with. So, again, it seems that we have to start with that important word, context, uh, for this passage as well, uh, so that we can really determine who Paul was addressing. Can you help us with that? Well, as you probably know, Paul uh, wrote two letters to this group of people, 1st and 2nd. Corinthians, and in fact, there probably was a third communique that was lost. Here we're looking at a document that was probably written about 55 AD. Paul's writing to these folks from Ephesus. He's writing from Ephesus to this church in Corinth. Now, Corinth, um, the people of Corinth, the population of Corinth, were definitely not a great place to be. I mean, it was a cesspool society. These were people who were immersed in immorality of all types. Uh, It was a very powerful city, but a very corrupt city. So the people were really the problem. And these problems that, that this group of people had, when they became Christians, 
they seemed to bring it all into the church, whether it was their propensity to do lawsuits, whether it was their propensity for idolatry, you know, and go eat meals at the idol worship, whether it was immorality of a variety of forms of prostitution, mm -hmm. uh, all of these things, not to mention their love of debate and to, you know, put people down, all of these came into the church. And so the Apostle Paul, in a very gentle way, has a proposal to make to them. He wants them to understand, now, now you're my brothers and, and sisters, and, and you're part of the church. And he affirms that fact. Mm -hmm. But he also then says, but I need to try to help not only encourage you, but I need to exhort you and mm -hmm. correct you. Yeah. Now, trust me, Paul is a lot more patient than I am. <laughs> this guy wrote two books, and from the beginning to the end, he's trying to motivate them to yes. live better. And by the time you get to the end of 2 Corinthians, where the passage we're looking at, he's laying leather. And he's saying, listen, I need to deal with these people. And you may not like what I have to say, but I'm going to say it because I'm the Apostle Paul. So together, we have to look at both of these books, which encompass a, a lot of theology, but mm -hmm. all of it is is riveting into the life of these people. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that, too, as you say, he had to come down hard to, to make his point, but it was always done in love, it seems. Absolutely. Just like a father, again, with his children. You know, it breaks his heart to see when the behavior doesn't align with who they are. And so it's like he's given them every opportunity to make those changes. And now he's going, all right, here it is. See, we, we, tend, to, we tend to think, well, God is love and I'm his child and he loves me and I love him and whatever. But what happens when, I, when I'm his child and I begin to disobey? Yeah. Does God just sit back and say, oh, isn't that cute? Wow. No, he steps into my life. I mean, I have a grandson, and when my grandson disobeys, do I say, oh, isn't that cute? I'll let his mother take care of that? Mm -hmm. No, no, I step in and say, hey, Noah, mm -hmm. we don't do that. Let's mm -hmm. not do that. And our Heavenly Father, according to the book of Hebrews, He will discipline us. He will step into our life to correct us, because we all had fathers who corrected us as best they could, the author of Hebrews says, yeah. but He comes to correct us for our holiness. Mm. And the yes. Corinthians needed a lot of holiness, uh, and that was the problem. <laughs> they certainly did. Well, there's no question that the behavior of the Corinthians to whom Paul was writing was a problem. He had rebuked them in chapter 12, as you mentioned, uh, regarding their immorality. But he didn't say anything about examining their behavior in the passage that we're discussing. What was his focus instead? Well, what's interesting is Paul calls them saints mm -hmm. in 1 Corinthians right. and in 2 Corinthians. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 2, 2 Corinthians uh, verse 21, verse 22, 3, 2, 3, 3 minutes, mm -hmm. numerous places. So Paul sees these people as believers. Uh -huh. They are holy ones. The problem is they weren't living holy lives. And so Paul steps into them and, and he doesn't say you're going to hell. Right. He doesn't share the gospel. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, you better look out or you're going to lose your eternal life. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, no. examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. So that becomes the question. What does it mean to be in the faith? Does that mean that Paul's questioning whether they should go to, whether they will go to heaven? Mm -hmm. I have many friends from the Reformed position. That's exactly what they say. Mm -hmm. That this is a passage that causes us to say, we should challenge people whether they're saved or not. And every Christian or every person who thinks they're a Christian should evaluate whether they really are a Christian. Mm. But Paul doesn't mm. really do that. No. And we'll, we'll need to look at some of these options yes. of what yes. Paul actually did 
do. Absolutely. And one, and one other point I'd just like to throw out there, too, is that, uh, you know, it's, we are here to be ambassadors for Christ. Our lives are to reflect him so that we bring honor and glory to the Lord. It had to have also just broken Paul's heart, considering all that he had witnessed and, and done and seen, and to see that, that this church was not representing the Lord. Right. Don't you think? Oh, that, yes. Yeah. In fact, you know, Paul says when Paul lists all of the trials and struggles, you know, yeah. <clears throat> I've been in the ocean, I've been starving, I've yes. been beaten, blah, blah, blah. And besides all that, and every day I deal with the churches. <laughs> I'm thinking he had these folks in mind. Oh, Two yes. letters? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. had this, this group in mind. So, yeah, I mean, one pastor struggles with one church, and it's got good days and hard days. Yeah. Here's Paul. He founded churches. He trained leadership, mm -hmm. and they struggled. Just be honest and read through the New Testament. You see a lot of struggle. You do. And Paul worked with these people. Really I think I'd be exhausted if I was Paul. Uh -huh. I, I guess that's why he prayed all the time, because he realized, Lord, without you, it ain't going to happen. That's right. And he also said, pray for us, right? Pray for, <laughs> pray for Paul us. Knew. Paul knew. <laughs> Uh, one view regarding the call to examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith perceives that the issue is the content of the faith delivered to the saints, the content of the faith, what they were being told. Ha explain how false teachers might be the focus there. Well, Paul is, is getting older, uh -huh. and the Corinthians are like a lot of people. Oh, great. I used to like him, but I found this new teacher. I mm. found this new guy. I found this new gal. There's this whole new system of thought. Mm. So the Corinthians were beginning to replace Paul with what Paul calls the super apostles, the most eminent apostles. And Paul says, I'm no less than them. In fact, they have bad motives against you. They're a problem. And so Paul is aware that these People who are false teachers were influencing the Corinthians, mm. and he doesn't want that. And so in chapter 12, he talks about the fact that these people are dangerous to you. Don't listen to them. Yes. And so when he one option is here, when he talks about that you are in the faith, he yeah. perhaps is referring to the body of truth that is the faith. That would be similar to mm. uh, Titus 1.13 mm. or Jude 3. So it may be he's saying, hey, listen, those people... They're not giving you the true doctrine. Yes. I was bringing to you the true doctrine. And by the way, this is why doctrine is so important. Oh, yes, we need yes. to teach doctrine. I mean, doctrine is simply a big, big boy word for the word mm -hmm. teaching. Mm -hmm. And so we need healthy teaching. Paul calls it hygienic teaching or hygienic yes. doctrine. This is the role of a pastor teacher. This is the role of teachers, but this is the role of a pastor teacher to the flock, not to entertain them, not to make them happy, and not mm -hmm. to say, everybody come see me and hear me and tell me I'm great. Yeah. It's to provide the doctrinal truth based yes. on the apostles' doctrine. We teach that. We don't teach our own ideas. We teach the apostles' doctrine. I got enough doctrine here to keep me going till the end of the day. <laughs> so I don't need to create something else. Yes. And don't we need that today? I mean, don't we need that uh, there, there are still so many, maybe even more, false teachers. Absolutely. Uh, and we become very gullible when we are not uh, grounded in God's truth, don't we? Well, and that's why Paul says we need to make sure that we're not carried away by every wind of doctrine. Yes. False teachers, false teaching, mm -hmm. that, that we kind of bob like a cork in the ocean. We're just bobbing all over the place, tossed mm -hmm. here and there by every wind of doctrine. Paul says mm -hmm. we got to nail this. We need to know that. And that's why, uh, you know, 
I look at people in church, I'm going, let's see, how many books a year do you read that are romance novels? How many books a year do you read that are mysteries? How many much, you know, how much you do? How many theology books do you read? Mm -hmm. I used to, every summer, uh, exhort our Sunday school class, mm -hmm. okay, it's summer, you're out of school, whatever. Here's a book you ought to read. Read this over the next three months. Yeah. And I would give them Ryrie's Basic Theology. Uh -huh. And they would uh -huh. read really it. go, this is a different kind of book. I said, yes, and there's more <laughs> of those to be had. They need to grow and mature in doctrine. Yes, yes, yes. Good advice for us all today. Well, this leads to another view that's articulated actually by Dr. Charles Bing. And he says that Paul may be mimicking those who are questioning his authority as a true apostle. So how, how does Paul use irony to sort of uh, 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 prove his own authenticity? So here are the Corinthians questioning Paul. So, whoa, Paul, we're not sure you're the real thing anymore. We've got these new guys and they have a new shtick and we're <laughs> liking it, Paul. And Paul says, now, wait a minute. You think that I'm weak? You think I don't bring the right message? You think God's not using me? You think I'm to be put out to pastor? Wait a minute. How did you become Christians? How did you get influenced with the truth? How did you even get out of the mess you were in to where you are now to now you want to look at the new breed, the new group? If I'm not true and genuine, how did you ever become a believer? Mm. How did you ever grow in your faith in Christ? Yeah. I mean, if I'm not the genuine item, then you're not the genuine item. Right. But right. I am and you are. So can we move on? Uh. I, so, I love that. I love that. And I think that's exactly what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, because if he is not the truth, then they How don't do they get the it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Paul is using an, he's mm -hmm. ironic about, I mean, mm -hmm. he's using irony. Uh -huh. And you wonder if Paul's got his tongue in his cheek and he's just uh -huh. going, when will these people get oh, it? Oh, yes. And do they get it? I don't know. Uh, I would doubt it, but you never know. <laughs> So if the, if the Christians considered themselves to be in Christ, and they did, then, then it would be foolish to question the authority of the one who introduced them to exactly. Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Well, a third view of this passage is that it refers to sanctification and the Bema seat uh, judgment. Again, the passage reads, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless you are disqualified. Well, so in light of this third view, Dr. Shea, walk us through how we might understand uh, Paul is talking about their sanctification progress and his concern for their disapproval at the judgment seat. Well, this is where it's helpful to understand both 1 Corinthians mm -hmm. and 2 Corinthians. If we go back to 1 Corinthians, Paul begins and begins to deal with the issue in chapter 3 about the fact that they are going to be judged. Paul is saying, you people are judging me. I don't worry about you judging me. I don't even judge myself. I'm going to wait for the Lord who will judge, and then everyone will get what is right. In chapter 3 and 4, the whole idea of judgment is brought up. In chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I beat myself black and blue, lest I be disqualified. Again, Paul's not worried about going to hell. Paul's concerned that he not be disqualified in his ministry and his being faithful to Christ. Then when we come to 2 Corinthians, we find that incredible passage in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, I make it my ambition to be pleasing to him. Mm -hmm. So wait a minute. What is Paul's ambition? Well, he's going to answer it. Yeah. I make it my ambition to be pleasing to him, for we must all stand before the bema seat of Christ, 
that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, whether good or bad. Now, that is a very important passage. He, he reiterates the same thing in Romans 14, verse 10. Mm -hmm. um, he, you find it again in 1 John 2, 28. I mean, it's, it's all over the New Testament, the concept of judgment. Jesus talked about it as well. Yes. Peter talks about it as well. But Paul makes it a very fine argument in both 1 mm -hmm. and 2 uh, Corinthians. And he brings it to a crescendo in chapter 5 by saying it's the Bema seat. This is not for non-believers. This is not to determine whether I'm a Christian or not. That has been determined by faith alone and Christ alone. And mm -hmm. Paul has given us that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, Galatians 2, 16. It's mm -hmm. not by works. It's only by faith. But at the Bema seat, that is to evaluate our life as to whether we've been found faithful or not. Mm -hmm. Now, back into 2 Corinthians. The Corinthians were not being faithful. No. They were suing one another. They were sexing all over the place. They were drunk at the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. And some of them were dead because of that, out of yes. punishment and discipline from God. Mm -hmm. Paul is being honest with these people. And then here are these false apostles coming in saying, oh, no, 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 don't look at Paul. Don't look at Paul. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. These people are false. Don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. You need to understand, I brought you the truth and you became Christians. And now I'm continuing to bring you the truth mm -hmm. and you need to live right because if you don't, you will be a dokimos. You will be disqualified. Mm. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I beat my body black and blue lest I be disqualified. disqualified. That's the same term. So yes. here he brings it back into their memory. Remember, they're reading this whole book. Yes. And he's saying, listen, my friends, you are going to be disqualified. You're questioning me? Mm -hmm. You better look at your own life mm -hmm. and see if you are functionally operating in obedience to the faith, which they weren't. And Paul knew it, but Paul wants them to see it because mm -hmm. if they don't look and if they don't see it, mm -hmm. Paul says, I'm afraid I'm going to have to come to you and you won't find me what you want and I won't find you for what I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid I will have to come in judgment with mm -hmm. the apostolic authority that God has given to me. And I don't want to do that, mm -hmm. but I will do it if I have to. And what do you think he meant by that? Well, what I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I think Paul would come if he came, and I think he would rebuke them. Mm -hmm. Whether mm -hmm. they would listen or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that God would strike some of them? Mm. Now, this is this is kind of a, I'm stepping over here. Okay, the Bible's here. I'm over here because right, right. I don't know exactly yeah, what that sweet. would say. Uh -huh. But I do know when right. Ananias and Sapphira, yeah. Sapphira lied to Peter, they not only lied to Peter, Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit, you mm -hmm. lied to God, mm -hmm. and then they died. Mm -hmm. So... We know some of the Corinthians, because of being drunk at the Lord's Supper, yes. died. Some were yeah. weak, some were sick, and yeah. some were asleep, a euphemistic way of saying they died. Mm -hmm. So we know those things did happen. Mm -hmm. If Paul came, would more of those things happen? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past God that when Paul showed up, some people would wither away yeah. They may they may have gotten some disease. They may have had the outcome of their sin and sexual sin in some horrible way. I don't know, but yes. I but I certainly have no trouble seeing Paul showing up and bad things happening mm -hmm. to Christians who are operating badly. Mm -hmm. And Paul mm -hmm. says, "I don't want that to happen. I, I yeah. don't want to have to come that way." Exactly. He exactly. says, I, "If I come, I I don't want to be like that." Mm 
Yes, yes. But I will do it if I have to. But if he has to, he'll do it. And what's funny is, look how he ends in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and God and love will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. He yeah, totally it's like, whoa, what happened? He, he just turned the corner. <laughs> yes. So Paul's heart, yes. he doesn't want to come with rebuke. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. He's a loving, godly man who wants the best for his children. Mm-hmm. But he knows if these folks don't turn it around, God yes. is going to strike them. Yes. And I don't yes. want that, so please listen to me. And so now I'm leaving, and so I give you the benediction and the blessing and the, the kiss of one another, whatever. Wow, what a change. It's, it's, it's kind of that principle in, uh, in just communications and crisis management where you, you sandwich the bad news between good news. You know, he That's starts right. out good. He ends up, you know, That's I right. love you, but here's, you know. Leave him with a positive, That's but right. I yeah. hope I've made my point. Yes, That's yes, what yes, saying. yes. And when he, when he talks about disqualified, that you're disqualified, again, there are those who would go, well, see, they're, they're going to lose their salvation. Uh, and, and we know that's not true. They're not. So when he talks about being disqualified, what do you feel? What, what do you believe the scripture is telling us? What does that mean? He's going to be disqualified. Well, some were weak, sick and slept, meaning dead. OK, mm-hmm. they got disqualified from mm-hmm. ministry and effectiveness there. Mm-hmm. Paul's concern was for himself that he be disqualified from being an apostle and being faithful to the Lord Jesus. Yes. We know at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, he was faithful. He says, I finished the course, I ran the race, I kept yes. the faith. Yes. But Paul yes. is aware that not everybody will do that. Right. So Paul does not give us evidence for what is called perseverance of the saints, uh-huh. meaning that if you become a Christian, you will be obedient and persevere to the end and eventually be good. But Paul does tell us we're once saved, always saved, that mm-hmm. God will preserve me. Mm-hmm. So I believe in the mm-hmm. preservation of the saint, they'll go to heaven. Once mm-hmm. saved, always saved, eternal security. But not in the perseverance of the saints, because Paul knew too many of these Christians who some of them were weak, sick, yes. and died because of their sin. They mm-hmm. didn't persevere. They are what Paul called in 1 Corinthians, carnal. Mm-hmm. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual. Because you are carnal, you are fleshly minded. They're believers, but they're fleshly minded. Now, some people say, well, there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. And go, well, let's see, what Bible are you using here? It's right there in the Bible. I mean, that's what Paul says. You're carnal. He says, oh, well, that's only a sin or two. It's not a state. Really? Some of them died in that state. Mm-hmm. Look like a state to me. Mm-hmm. But you can see, and as you brought up at the very beginning, this is this is at the fiber. Uh, the inner fiber of the doctrine of assurance. Mm -hmm. And so many Christians believe assurance is based upon your work. Mm -hmm. If you have enough work, if you have the right kind of work, if you don't do certain other kinds of works, then you can have assurance you're saved, but you actually never really know until you die. In fact, many uh, Reformed preachers and teachers now would say, you're justified by faith alone, but if you don't have enough good works, you don't have final justification or final vindication is the term they use. Now, we, we tend to think that this is a new argument, that um, this free grace theology, well, this is something that started in 1950 uh-huh. or 1960. Uh-huh. It's new, you know, we, we shouldn't get all bothered by it. Well, it's not new. No. Some would say, well, we could go back to the Apostle Paul, and that's true. Some would say we could go back to the Apostolic Fathers. That's true. Mm-hmm. But we in, here in America, we tend to forget our own history. In the pre-colonial days of America, 1630 to 1636, mm-hmm. there was a movement called the Free Grace Controversy. 
I just happen to have Did a book here that. called Making Heretics, huh. subtitle, Militant Protestantism and Free Grace in Massachusetts. How about that? This is an argument. This is a PhD dissertation from Princeton, so don't go buy it. It costs way too much money, and it's really hard to read. But he makes the point, and he teaches now history at the University of Georgia, he makes the point that the American church, which came over called Puritanism, had a group of people who were called free grace, who articulated you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, and that your assurance is predicated upon what Jesus did for you, not on what I do for Jesus. It's the same argument. It's yes. the doctrine of assurance. Yes. It's this passage right. and the other one. This was the most famous passage besides uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, make your calling and election mm -hmm. sure. Those two passages were the most important on yes. the doctrine of assurance, and it hit each other with this issue of free grace soteriology. Wow, that's that's fascinating. And you know, when you consider the Corinthian churches, we've said their behavior certainly was not evidence of, of who they were in Jesus Christ. They, uh, and yet, uh, it seems very telling that Paul didn't take those final words uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if he thought they weren't believers, right? He didn't but say, he didn't. you're going to hell no. and you need to know the truth. He doesn't no. do that at all. No. Not at all. He again reinforces the fact. And the very way he ends, and now brothers. Yes. And now brothers. And now yes. give each other a kiss. Yes. And now brothers, we love you. God's right. peace to you. Are you kidding me? He doesn't think they're non-believers. He's reaffirming the fact they are believers. Yes. They're carnal, yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Yes. They're disobedient. Yes. Chapter 4, the Bema seat is theirs, mm -hmm. and it's not going to be a pleasant experience. 2 mm -hmm. Corinthians 5, 9, mm -hmm. and 10, he ends with, my brothers, the love of God and the peace of God be with you. Yes. He's not worried that they're going to hell. He's yeah. very worried that they'll be judged at the Bema seat, and they won't be found by Jesus as they should be. Mm. In closing, Dr. Shea, I know there are those listening who may have failed in their past, have never been able to forgive themselves. They assume that they are disqualified from the race, uh, are confused in their own theology and what they believe. And But they, they, they've they believed in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation. Uh, how, how would you speak to those individuals today so that they can rest assured? Well, I would say, number one, let's make sure our assurance is based upon what Jesus did for me, not what I do for him. Yes. Let's take John 5, 24 and say, that's true. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me is passed from death to life and never comes into judgment. Now, that's either true or not. If it's true, it's true, and that's it. It's John 3, 16. It's John 5, 24. I've been called. I've been born again. I'm in. Once the baby's born, you can't unborn them. They may die. They may be harmed, but you can't be unborn. So they're born again. So I would say your assurance needs to be predicated upon what Jesus did for you, not your behavior. Now, if your behavior is problematic, then in the great words, two words, stop it. If you're <laughs> yes. disobeying God, stop it because the yes. Corinthians didn't. And this was the problem. Exactly. But your assurance of salvation, Paul would say, if you trusted Christ, Yes. You have eternal security. You can know that Christ loves you, forgives you, and will discipline you if you're if you need it. Absolutely. He will whack you. He will use discipline in your life, but you cannot lose it. It's a it's a love you couldn't earn. Mm -hmm. It's a love you can never lose. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Shea, again, another excellent discussion, and I look forward to having you back on our podcast. 
And we thank you, listeners. It's always our prayer that our topics will encourage you, inspire you, and really stir your interest to get into God's Word. You're going to find uh, so much there about the God who loves you, a God who's, who's wanting you to know Him on a more intimate level. Uh, I just pray that you would be drawn to read the Word, to pray to Him, and, and we ask that if you haven't done so, to check out the many opportunities for increasing your knowledge right here at Grace School of Theology, to expand your biblical knowledge, to deepen your faith. You may have friends and family who really need to hear about God's amazing grace. You can share our podcast. Uh, you can also give us your ideas for topics Send us your questions that you would like to have us address here on the podcast. You can send those by email at savinggrace at gsot.edu. You can tweet us at savinggracecast. We're so glad that you were with us today. And remember, Christ's love can never be earned and it can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.